You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. Formerly Bulletproof Radio. Maybe love is what the world needs. In fact, the world could always use some more love, but there's something else, and it's called kindness. Our first guest on the show today is Jamil Zaki, who researches kindness, empathy, and compassion, which are actually three different things, and he looks at it from a psychology perspective and as a neuroscientist. He looks at what isolation, tribalism does to us and why we find it hard to understand people who aren't like us. And if you talk about isolation right now, we have social isolation going on, which is what's happening, especially to kids, uh, but to everyone when our faces are covered and we have to stay far away from other people and we can't get together and do the things that we always do. At the same time, we have obscene amounts of tribalism, the us versus them more than it's ever been. Dr. Zaki's research looks at how you can learn to empathize more effectively by tapping into common humanity and common vulnerability, which is something that can bring someone from the other side, at least into the middle. And I would encourage you, there is no other side. Just be right in the middle and be calm. And if you do that, it's easier to be kind. And our second guest on the show today is Leon Logothetis. And he believes that three small words can change the world. And they are, go, be, kind. He's known as the kindness guy because he's a global adventurer who found through firsthand experience how essential kindness is to building human connection. He's traveled to more than 100 countries over the last 10 years, and the entire time is dependent on the kindness of strangers and looked for the good in people and made a TV series called The Kindness Diaries about how people helped him when he just asked. In these interviews with Jamil and Leon, you'll find that kindness really is the new cool and it's something you can intentionally dial up in your life. Right now, kindness is the antidote to the programming that's happening throughout the world right now. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. Today's guest on the show is a professor of psychology at Stanford University and director of the Stanford Neuroscience Lab. And he's looked at what empathy and kindness do to humans on all sorts of different levels and wrote a fascinating and engaging book called The War for Kindness. So I wanted to have uh, Professor Jamil Zaki on the show. Uh, this is the time when you can hack your response to the environment so that you are naturally kind and it doesn't take effort, that it's just built in. And there's experiments, there's all kinds of cool stuff we're going to talk about. So Jamil, welcome to the show. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. So what is it about kindness that's special or different or like what made it you know, worthy of your career pursuit? I think it's among human beings, I don't know, top three capacities that have allowed us to thrive as a species. I mean, our secret is comes in so many ways, in so many forms. Um, we can plan really well. We can remember well. But really, if you look at us 100,000 years ago, we were a pretty unimpressive animal, right? Just a medium-sized mammal, not particularly fast or strong. We couldn't fly or swim very well. But in part, our ability to work together is what allowed us to succeed. Because even if as individuals we were unimpressive, as a collective, we are like a super organism that can do so that can do things no other animal ever could. So I really think that even now, there's all sorts of evidence that kindness is our kind of superpower. It is our, it's our, it, it's a superpower hidden in plain sight in a way. Today's guest has only three small words that back up what he does. And they are go, be, 
kind. I'm talking about Leon Logothetis, who's a world-renowned motivational speaker, adventurer, and philanthropist who is known everywhere as the kindness guy. By the way, he's the happiness guy on Instagram. And he wrote, happiness is the new rich, inner peace is the new success, health is the new wealth, kindness is the new cool. Leon, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Kindness is such a, a mushy word. <laughs> like we all sort of know what kindness is when we see it, but it's, it's relatively hard to define. How do you define kindness? Do you know, a lot of people always come up to me and they say, you're the kindness guy. Uh, you, you tell me what kindness means. And they expect to have this like epic answer that like solves all world problems. But the truth is that for me, kindness is simply helping someone feel less alone. That's it. Wow. That's a great definition. Yeah. When you make someone feel like they matter, when you see someone, when you take someone's loneliness, uh, depression, and uh, transform it by simply being kind, that's a, that's a quite a profound way to be. Yeah. So kindness is also known as pro-social behavior or pro-sociality in psychology and economics. And it's any behavior that benefits someone else. Now, let's cut kindness into two parts. One, cooperation. That's where I benefit you and me at the same time, right? That's when we work together to accomplish something that neither of us could do alone. Now, the other part the other type of kindness would be altruism. That's where I do something for you and I don't benefit and maybe I'm even worse off for doing it. If you've been following Bulletproof Radio for a while, you know that I spent well over a million dollars to biohack my life and I'm a profoundly different human as a result of it. What's the most impactful biohack I've ever used? If you're thinking Bulletproof Coffee, you're almost right. That's not it. It's 40 Years of Zen. 40 Years of Zen is a five-day intensive brain upgrade program where you get the best possible brain performance and you learn to access states that normally take decades of meditation. 40 Years of Zen uses new technology that exists only at 40 Years of Zen that we built from the ground up, multiple neuroscientists, multiple facilitators, an executive chef, and custom protocols to upgrade your brain and your life. We even add curated supplements to the stack to allow you to train about two and a half times deeper and further than you could go if your brain wasn't working better biologically. Visit 40yearszen.com and see if the program's right for you. The other type of kindness would be altruism. That's where I do something for you and I don't benefit and maybe I'm even worse off for doing it. So the classic example of that would be someone in the military throwing themselves on a grenade to protect the rest of their platoon, right? Obviously, they're sacrificing everything in order to act kindly towards others. Now, for, I don't know, centuries, millennia, people have been trying to, to divide uh, altruism from cooperation by saying, is there an act that we can find that is truly altruistic? Uh, and the answer is, it's really difficult and it depends on how you define it. Because sometimes I might act kindly towards you and it's obviously for a self-interested reason or a cooperative reason. You benefit, but I get a tax break. You benefit, but I impress somebody who I'm hoping to date. Or you benefit, but then you pay me back. You feel like you owe me something later on. Now, maybe I can say, well, what if I d uh, donate to charity anonymously? Maybe that's an act of true altruism because where's the benefit? But it turns out 
and this is some research that I and lots of other people have done, that when you give to others, you actually experience pleasure. Like we found using functional magnetic resonance imaging, that when you donate money to someone else, you activate similar parts of your brain as when you eat chocolate. So if we enjoy kindness, does that make it selfish? These are the types of questions that people have been asking for a long time. And I think we should stop asking because to okay. me, even, yeah, because to me, even if the way that we're built biologically means that we enjoy kindness, to me, that doesn't take away from how powerful it is that we are kind. I think it makes it more powerful and more beautiful that, that we've evolved to enjoy it. A wise man once said to me that people never remember what you say to them, but they always remember how you make them feel. So the way to make someone kinder is to show them that kindness is a win-win, to show them the benefits of, of coming from a place of, of, of love and coming from a place of, of, of compassion and empathy. And, and sometimes people always say to me, they're like, you know, I can't be kind because it's weakness. If I'm, if I'm yeah. kind, then they'll, they'll squash me. And I, I tell them the story of Muhammad Ali. And Muhammad Ali, not a perfect man, but no one is, is a man that came from his heart, is a man that came from a place of service is a man that came from love uh, and then I say to them would you mess with Muhammad Ali and they're like no of course not and the point is that you can be kind and you can be strong um, just your kindness doesn't mean you can let people walk all over you absolutely not there's a there's a you know a boundary in place there's a you know it's, it's not okay to, to treat me the way that, that you like that treat people with respect but there's a boundary that you put up do not mess with me but I'm going to be kind so kindness isn't weakness, but kindness can feel like weakness, especially in the face of someone who isn't being kind towards you. What's the process that you coach people to go through to just be kind? Many of us make commitments. One of the commitments is to our work. Another of, of the commitments is to our families. How many of us make a commitment of how we're going to show up in the world? So that's the secret source, let's say. That's what I do every day. I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I've made a commitment to show up with, with compassion and kindness as often as I possibly can. And by doing that, through osmosis to a certain degree, I really don't spend that much time around people who aren't kind, who don't come from their hearts. And it took time. And it doesn't always work. You know, you never know what happens in life. But if you do that and you make a commitment, the greatest thing that one can do is have an intention. And that intention of showing up with a, with a, with a kind soul, with a kind heart, with, with some compassion is something that will truly change lives. Um, and that's my trick. That's what I do. That's what I do as often as I possibly can. And it's easy to do it if you win the lottery, right? It's easy to do it if you, you know, everything's going well. The hard part is to do it when things are not going well, when someone upsets you on the road, when you want to get angry. But if you make that commitment, like you do with your family, like you do with your work, lives change, starting with your own. How do you, as a researcher, define kindness versus empathy versus compassion? And then I want you to tell me how to raise all three of them. <laughs> um, thank you. I, I think this is a really important it's really important to get clarity because these can feel like such soft and fuzzy terms, but they're not. I mean, at least from a research perspective, we can measure them. And so, uh, as I said earlier, kindness is a behavior that benefits another person. It's anything that I do that leaves you better off than you were before. Um, and, and then uh, 
Empathy is an experience. It's the experience of connecting with someone emotionally. Now, the way that researchers think about empathy is as an umbrella term that actually contains multiple ways we relate to each other. So I'll give you an example. Let's say that you're talking, uh, having lunch with a friend um, back when we could do that. (laughs) And um, he, he gets a phone call and you don't know who's on the other side or what they're saying, but he starts to cry. And it's not a happy, it's not happy tears. So a bunch of things might happen in you. First, you might feel really crappy yourself. You might start start to feel sad. You might even feel yourself start to tear up. That would be emotional empathy or emotion contagion when you catch vicariously what someone else is feeling. Then you might try to think about what he's feeling and why. Was he expecting some news or something? That's what we'd call cognitive empathy, trying to piece together what's going on in someone else's experience. And then third, you might want to help him. You might feel an urge or a desire for his well-being to improve. That's what we would call empathic concern. But, and here's a key point, it's interchangeable with compassion. So the way that scientists often see it is that empathy is like a big umbrella term. And then compassion would be one of the components of our sort of emotional connectedness to others. Does that make sense? it, It does make sense. All right. Actually, before you even tell us how we're going to raise those in ourselves, stack rank them most important to least important. Oof. <laughs> the, 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 the NBA draft and social <laughs> behavior and experience. <laughs> uh, number one to the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers is, uh, I, you know, I think that it depends. So um, kindness is obviously, I think, the most important for us as a collective. Okay. You know, I think that we need we need to cooperate. We need to work yeah. together. And that's whether you're in a family or a company or okay. a culture. You can be kind even if you don't feel any empathy and you think everyone's a jerk. You can. But okay. when it comes to your personal health, probably a combination of uh, of kindness and compassion matter a lot. It's very expensive to be to be full of hate and act kind. Like it, it's just it, you get tired doing that. I, I would imagine anyway. So okay, we we ran a study with Stanford students where we asked them to we asked them how many kind acts they had engaged in that day, and we asked them how much empathy they had felt that day um, and compassion. And what we found uh, was that um, was that when people acted kindly, they generally felt better. Uh, and they felt less stressed, they felt less lonely, and so forth. But okay. that was especially true if they had felt compassion for the person to whom they had acted kindly. And kindness in the absence of compassion didn't seem to help very much. Now, okay. dead, so, so, so behind both of those in my priority list would be other forms of empathy, especially, I think it's important to understand other people, but sharing other people's pain, although sometimes like a kickstart for kindness and compassion can also be really dangerous. We can, it can burn us out. It can overwhelm us really quickly and it can make us want to avoid social contact instead of engaging. I mean, imagine walking down a block in midtown Manhattan and feeling the pain of everyone you saw. You'd like collapse in, in, in a minute. And so I don't know that that type of empathy is very sustainable. How do you know when too kind, too, too much kindness happens? Well, remember my definition, and my definition is kindness is simply helping someone feel less alone. Mm. So if that's true, it's true for me, it could maybe not true for you, but it's true for me. If that's the case, then you don't need to be a monk to make someone feel less alone. You just need to be present for them. (laughs) 
You don't need to be a monk to make someone feel less alone. You just need to be present for them. You just need to make them feel like they don't like they matter. You just you just need to show up. Um, it doesn't mean you can't do silly things like this weekend. I probably shouldn't share this, but I'm going to. I decided to take and always wanted to have a bath in glitter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I did. Now, I don't know any monks that had baths, uh, have had baths in glitters, in glitter. But, you know, just being kind doesn't mean you have to give up everything. You can't be silly. You can't, you know, go on adventures. You can't have bad days. You can. It's all good. Have a bad day. It's all good. Mm -hmm. Except when you have a bad day or a bad week or a bad month and you're on the floor and you feel down, that's okay. But as the great man Winston Churchill once said, never, never, never give up. So you're down. You're, you're on the floor. It's okay. You've been mean. It's okay. Just when you're ready, stand up and keep on going. All right. So it, it's the continued practice of kindness, not the perfection of kindness that you're targeting. Absolutely. Okay. It's the same thing with love, let's say. Like with love, one people think, and I used to be one of those people, that you fall in love and everything's going to work itself out. You know, it's all going to work itself out. But the truth is you have to commit to it. You have to commit to how you show up on a daily basis. The same thing with kindness. You have to commit to it. That's that's the way it is. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, and and so it, it's a, a practice much like meditation. But instead of saying I have a, a daily meditation practice, you're saying I have a daily kindness practice. And you walk through life saying, all right, how do I help the people around me not feel alone? Yes. And sometimes people say to me, what, why, uh, why are you so kind? Why did you d decide to live your life like this? And the truth is, as a kid, I felt profoundly alone. I know what it feels like to feel like one doesn't matter. I know what it feels like to feel ostracized. I know, and you're a human being, and your listeners are human beings, and they know too. So the way to resolve that in many instances is to have someone be kind to you. And when someone is kind to you, things get better. So you take that kindness and you throw it like it's confetti to others. And it becomes a win-win. I win because I'm being kind to you and I feel better. You win because my kindness makes you feel like you matter. Why would someone reject empathy? What, what leads to that? Well, I mean, you, you talked about in, in the Manhattan example, rejecting empathy. And I think it's not always a bad choice. I, I do think that, again, if, if you're in a situation where empathy will overwhelm you, um, where it will actually interfere with you doing what you need to do, for instance, then you probably need to shut it off. A linebacker uh, who empathizes with a running back will be really bad <laughs> at doing their job, at tackling, right? right? And, and a soldier would be even worse. Or a surgeon, right? A surgeon mm -hmm. who feels the pain of a patient can't help that person. So I think it's, it's adaptive and to the good overall that we have control over our emotional experiences, which we do, as, as I'm sure you know. So we control all sorts of emotions. We can turn empathy up or down like the volume knob on a stereo, and that's a good capacity to have. The problem is when we make mistakes with that capacity, when we decide that we shouldn't empathize because we think it would be better to focus on ourselves and we're dead wrong and it actually hurts us. Okay. 
how do we know? Or, or, or sitting at home, <laughs> uh, or, you know, binge watching Netflix, hopefully listening to a few podcasts here and there. And are you doing this? Or are you not doing this? What's our, our method of awareness for this? Of how empathic we're being, well, how and whether we're, we're turning it off people. or not. I mean, I don't think most most soldiers go. You know, today I'm going to turn off empathy and and go win the war. It, it's not like that. It seems like it's mostly unconscious. I don't I don't go well. I'm in New York today, so I'm going to you know put on my energy condom. Uh, I I just kind of <laughs> naturally like it's like if you're in a bright sun bright sunshine, you squint right to help block out some yeah. of the light. And it seems like it's mostly automated when whether or not we block out empathy. But I, uh, you're actually saying you can choose to reject empathy, but you can also choose to take more of it in. So how do you know if you're rejecting it without like when you're not paying attention? Well, I think a, a, our, a lot of our mental lives are on autopilot in lots of ways most of the time. And a question, and that's, again, that's a good thing because we we couldn't just, we couldn't be tuning all of our knobs all the time and also walk and chew gum. We'd fall, we'd fall over, right? So it's good that we're on autopilot a lot of the time in a lot of ways. But I do think that there's a way to kick off autopilot and and interrogate, become curious about what's happening inside ourselves. So I think you aptly described a situation where if I'm hypoglycemic, if I'm stressed, if I'm sleep deprived, I'm going to have certain thoughts about people and I'm going to act certain ways that if I don't think about it, I won't realize I'm being unempathic right now. But if you step out and sort of try to see the an interaction you're having as a fly on the wall, for instance, I bet that it would be pretty easy to pick out when you've acted in a way that was unempathic or when you've had thoughts that are incurious about other people. I mean, one thing that I try to do, and this is not me as a scientist, it's just me as a person, is if I'm having a conversation, I ask myself what someone said that surprised me or that I learned from. Because I think a lot of the time in conversations, we actually are so focused on our own story that we have already decided is right before we have a conversation that we don't actually empathize or listen much at all. And if we are listening, one sign is that we learn something or we're surprised. What do you run through some sort of a calculus when you're saying, all right, I'm in my kindness VW, kindness to my VW Beetle. I'm driving from one continent to another. Uh, and you're saying, I'm going to do this thing, and it's kind for party A, but it's maybe ignoring or not kind to party B. Do you have like a kindness equation that runs through your head? The equation that runs through my heart okay. is, does it, well said. does it feel right? Okay. Does it feel right? If it feels right, I will do it. Have I made mistakes? Yes. But more often than not, I follow my heart, and the heart always wins. Except when it doesn't, but that's rarely. Now, what what fascinates me is, is by the way, I, I love it that you're just going with your intuition. The, the body tells you, and in, in the world of neuroscience, where I spend some of my time uh, at one of my companies, uh, you can see the body knows what what's right. The body knows stuff the mind doesn't know, and then the mind oftentimes changes the signal that comes from the body. Right? Do you find people become sort of kindness junkies where they just can't stop talking about oh my god you have to be kind i'm the kindest person kind 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 and it sort of takes over their life is that is that a thing it is 100 percent a thing and i'm always i i never wanted to preach i never wanted to like sit on a stage and tell you this is what you have to do you have to be kind or you have to do this and if you don't do it then you're screwed. 
Because if you do that, you become a fundamentalist. You may not be yeah. a fundamentalist in the you know narrow sense of the word, but you are a fundamentalist. You are a kindness fundamentalist. Some people don't want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> that's the, that's the reality. You know, don't ram it down their throats. I, I once said to someone, "You can be blinded by the light," and there are kindness warriors out there that are fundamentalists. Um, and I don't want to be told what to do by anyone, let alone a fundamentalist. Well said. Uh, in fact, that that's a, a, a meme-worthy quote right there. Where does gratitude fit in in your framework? Because you know you're talking about those kindness versus empathy versus compassion. How, how do you integrate it, or do you integrate gratitude into that? Uh, so, I mean, I think that I think of gratitude as a separate phenomenon apart from these things, but it's, that doesn't mean it's unconnected to them. So for instance, we've talked about empathy and kindness from the giver's side, but one of the biggest sources of gratitude is the kindness of others. When someone acts kindly towards us, when they empathize with us, we often feel gratitude for our connection with them, gratitude for their goodwill, gratitude for their help. And in a way, so I, I teach a class at Stanford called Becoming Kinder, which is about not just the science of empathy and kindness, but uh, it has a lot of challenges that students do every weekend, sort of exercises to, to get them to try to stretch their kindness and empathy. And, um, and one of them pertains to gratitude, which is really we ask, I ask students to notice somebody else's kindness and reinforce it. And it doesn't have to be kindness to you. Like notice someone being kind to somebody else and thank them for that behavior. Uh, and it's hugely powerful for students because I think that a lot of us, because we're so stressed and busy and overwhelmed and now anxious from the situation that we're all in together, we have blinders on sometimes for the interconnectedness of people. And when you focus on looking for kindness, guess what? You find it. You find yeah. it in enormous and vast quantities. And finding it and realizing not just this one person was kind to this one other person, but awakening to the kindness that's all around us, first of all, can influence your behavior and make you more likely to be kind. Mm -hmm. But second, I think instills a deep gratitude about the nature of humanity, that we're not all bad, that we do have a lot of powerful compassion in us. And I think that that's one tremendous source of gratitude for me. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD plus. Check out Qualia NAD plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. 
Uh, Leon, give me some details on cell phone roulette. I wrote a book. My latest book is called Go Be Kind. Um, and it's 28 and a half adventures guaranteed to make you happier. And, and basically what it is, is people would come up to me and they'd be like, I can't quit my job. I can't give uh, random people life-changing gifts. I'm not going to be kind. And I'm like, okay. So what I did was I created this book, which enabled you to go on the same kind of adventure that I went on without spending a single penny. Because it's not about getting a yellow motorbike. It's not about a yellow VW Beetle. It's about how you show up moment to moment. That's all. So the cell phone roulette is one of the adventures in the book. You take your phone out, you you go down your contacts without knowing where you're going, and wherever it lands, wherever it lands, you call them or you text them, and you say something that will make that person feel less alone. Um, and I did a little video doing that, and I was like, oh, my God, this is much easier when you write it than when you actually do it. And I, I got this guy and I called him. I, I literally had no idea who he was because I, I have people in my phone. Sometimes I don't know who they are. And I called him and we did the cell phone roulette and I was kind to him and he remembered me and then I remembered him. And it was a beautiful thing. So that's really what cell phone roulette is. One of the 28 and a half adventures in the, in the book. Or the, it's really a journal. You've actually given a TED talk on hacking empathy. And I'm a big fan of you know, systems to do things like that because systems make things easy. And you wrote a whole chapter in The War for Kindness on something called kind systems. So what is a kind system? Yeah, I, I mean, it, so we think of our psychology, whether it's our personality or our kindness and empathy or whatever, as just something that's inside us, the individual. But as we've been talking about, humanity is a herd species. <laughs> we're, we're the most groupy animal uh, th that exists. We, we, we conform to the norms and structures around us. So I might want to be kind, but if everyone around me is being an asshole, I'll decide that in order to fall in line, I need to act that way too. And likewise, I might feel like being unkind, but if the people around me are emphasizing how important it is to be kind, I'll fall in line with that as well. And so it turns out that there's all sorts of evidence that one of the most powerful ways to change someone's behavior is to change what they notice about other people. So when people are exposed to or notice other people acting kindly, they are more inspired to do that themselves. And I, th I think that that's so important for anybody in a leadership position in any type of structure, right? So um, since the book came out, I've talked with leaders in hospital systems, school systems, prison systems, businesses, and other organizations. And they all, they sort of sometimes ask me, like, is there a pill that I can give my team members to make them more empathic? And I'm like, no, you are the pill. You're the only, like, because by, by setting an example, by incentivizing, highlighting, and amplifying kind behaviors, you make them stickier, you make them more magnetic, you make them more likely to ripple outwards through a culture. And so I, I, you know, I tell leaders to make, and, uh, and people in general, that they should make empathy and kindness loud in order to make it forceful. Do you know what I've realized I came here to do? This may sound a little silly, but maybe not. I came here to love. 
you know, and, and not in a preachy way, not in an unperfect way, because trust me, if I gave you the telephone numbers of all my ex-girlfriends, they'll tell you how imperfect I am. <laughs> but I came here to love. And yeah, I make mistakes. I mess things up. Get it. Done. Clear. But that's why I came here. Leon, it's been a pleasure interviewing you and you're the easiest way to connect with you and find all of your good stuff because you've got multiple TV series and books and all that stuff. It's Instagram, The Kindness Guy. Have that right? Yeah, The Kindness Guy on Instagram. Thanks for your work. Thanks for being kind and thanks for showing people how they can do it and making it a practice uh, rather than a, a set of perfection. I think there's some profound wisdom in what you're doing and I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me on today. You said earlier that a lot of us still live in those interconnected communities, but it's actually less and less, right? So in 1950, one third of humanity was urban. And by 2050, at least this was true a year ago, two thirds of humanity will be urban. So we're rapidly moving into these massive sort of uh, metropoli where we see a lot of people and don't know any of them. And we're living alone way more than at any time in human history as well. So I think a lot of us have talked endlessly about the disintegration of those communities as we move to a system that's just about, again, this ultra efficient, but depersonalized market that is all about the sort of, you know, uh, uh, un poorly defined nugget that you can get at will, right? And, and that's, we've been building a culture for those nuggets and for those nugget delivery systems. And maybe that culture won't survive whatever is coming next, but maybe it wasn't that natural or healthy to begin with. Um, and one wonders whether some of what we'll lose might have been harming us all, all along. I, 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 again, I don't want a silver lining what is really a lot of pain for a lot of people. But I do think that even from trauma, we can learn and grow if, if we pay attention in the right ways. Uh, very, very well said. And uh, thank you for being on and for paying attention to kindness. Uh, your book title is fantastic. War for Kindness uh, is uh, very memorable. That's your website too, War for Kindness. Uh, so if if you're at home right now and you're listening to this uh, thinking, all right, uh, kindness probably has a role. Maybe I'm feeling a little bit lonely. Turning up empathy with the specific set of tools and instructions that are in the book is a very valuable use of your time. It's different than meditation. Um, it's, it, although there are, are overlaps and there's some relatedness there. Um, it's different than exercise, different than eating well. Uh, and it's part of not staying sane, which is a terribly low goal, almost as low as we're gonna flatten the curve. Instead of, we're gonna eliminate the curve or lower the curve, which ought to be a real goal. Uh, and how do I not stress about you know doing too much to be better? But this is one of those things that has a very, very high ROI for you. So. Hack your empathy, uh, read the book, and just pay attention to all the good stuff people are doing, even in the midst of all the political maneuverings and fear-mongering and all the other stuff like that. If you enjoyed today's episode, you know what to do. Uh, do something kind. In fact, you know an easy thing you can do that's really kind? If you've read my books or you like this show, leave a review. Reviews are incredible acts of kindness for two different people. One is the creator the person who wrote the book or did the show. The other one is for other people who might find the show. So if you love the show and you say, this is five stars, best ever, that's awesome. You're helping people find it. And if you think it was a bad show, I guarantee you that the creator wants to know it was a bad show and you would want to help people steer clear. So you're helping tons of people when you do that, leave reviews. Thank you. 
You're listening to The Human Upgrade with Dave Asprey. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.